MSW Media. News was wearing Daily Beans, Daily Beans, Daily Beans, Daily Beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, August 17th, 2020. Today, the post office is in jeopardy as Nancy Pelosi calls the House back to D.C. to set an emergency postal hearing. Trump's brother, Robert Trump, has died in the hospital. The new private firm handling coronavirus data refuses to answer senators' questions. Durham is attempting to retroactively narrow the scope of the Russia probe as FBI lawyer Kleinsmith is set to plead guilty for altering an email in the Carter Page FISA application. Blackstone buys into a healthcare company. Mississippi weighs a new flag design. Tens of thousands gather in Minsk to protest as Russia offers military assistance. And a criminal referral from the Mueller team made back in July of last year has gone ignored by Barr's Justice Department, justice in quotes. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. So I'm aghast, um, though I shouldn't be. I should be used to this. But at the amount of news that broke this weekend... But get used to it. Uh, This is how it's going to be until we elect a sleepy Joe Biden and we can all get some sleep. And then there is some old school breaking news from the Mueller She Wrote era. And you know I'm excited to tell you about it. Thanks to our patrons and our subscribers. Subscribing is free. Uh, Give us a rating while you're there. Uh, But this past Friday, uh, happy hour, it was so much fun. Thank you, everybody, for being there. We had Lincoln's Bible pop in, so thanks, LB, for that. And this week, we are changing the happy hour from Friday. It's not going to be on Friday. It's going to be on Saturday morning at 11 Pacific time, and the theme is brunch. So we're doing a brunch this weekend. So I hope you all can make it. I will probably pop in Friday for those who don't hear this or get it in the newsletter and just be like, hey, we're doing it tomorrow morning. But... It is not Friday, this, the happy hour this week. It is Saturday at 11 a.m., and we're doing brunch. So prepare for that. Um, and it's 11 uh, Pacific for patrons and then noon Pacific for the public. And we're looking forward to it. Uh, anyway, we have a lot of news to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hey, everybody. So, lead story today. A Mueller referral. This broke in the LA Times pretty late um, last night and blew me away. I was... (laughs) It basically sums up the entire Mueller She Wrote podcast in, like, a nice, neat letter. Now, I mean, yes, there's a lot missing. I I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't belittle the the amount of of work and news that went into the podcast. But this was... This is a big deal. And I'm just going to read to you from the L.A. Times article. They say the Senate Intelligence Committee has sent a bipartisan letter to the Justice Department asking federal prosecutors to investigate Bannon, a former Trump confidant, for lying to lawmakers during its investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. The letter, a copy of which was reviewed by the Times, the L.A. Times, was signed by the panel's then chairman, Republican Senator Richard Burr, and its ranking Democrat, Senator Mark Warner. It also raised concerns about testimony provided by family members and confidants of President Trump that appeared to contradict information provided by former Deputy Campaign Chairman to Special Counsel Robert Mueller III. 
Those it identified as proving such conflicting testimony were the president's son, Donald Trump Jr., his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, former Trump campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, and former White House communications director, Hope Hicks. The letter, uh, which has not been made public, had, had not, has not before been made public, was sent July 19th of 2019 to Deborah Curtis, a top prosecutor at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington. It's not clear what action the Justice Department has taken on the referral. Carrie Kupek, a Justice Department spokeswoman, declined to comment. Quote, as you are aware, the committee is conducting an investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. As part of the inquiry and as a result of witness interviews and document production, we now have reason to believe that the following individuals may have committed a criminal act. Uh, the letter named Bannon. Uh, the letter uh, names Eric Prince and also Sam Clovis, who was co-chairman of the Trump campaign. We talked a lot about Clovis in the Mueller She Wrote podcast. Criminal referrals from Capitol Hill have been somewhat common since Trump took office in 2017, but this one's rare because it involves bipartisan leaders of a Senate panel that conducted its own probe without devolving into partisan bickering that consumed its counterpart in the House of Representatives. This is the Senate Intelligence Committee, headed by Republican Bill Burr until recently, am I right? Uh, disclosure of this letter came as the Senate Intelligence Committee is close to releasing its final report on the panel's own investigation into Russian election meddling. The fifth volume, by the way. They've already released four volumes. The close to 1,000-page counterintelligence volume is what's due out. A lot of people thought we were going to get it before the Senate recess. That didn't happen. Uh, we also thought we were going to get coronavirus relief. We didn't get that either. The committee will not discuss referrals, said spokesman for Senator Marco Rubio, who is now the chair, the acting chairman of the committee. And those who, in order to score cheap political points, are speculating on one claim to know the identities of those referred are committing a grotesque injustice. Yeah, not as grotesque as lying to fucking Congress, Marco. Put that in a Bible quote and smoke it, you piece of shit. Um, Rubio took over the chairmanship, as I said, after Burr stepped down, admitted an investigation into insider trading. Oh. He was the only one that got investigated by Bill Barr. How odd. Uh, a spokeswoman for Mark Warner declined to comment for the story. And according to the letter, the committee involved, uh, believe Bannon may have lied about his interactions with Eric Prince, a private security contractor, Rick Gerson, a hedge fund manager, and Kirill Dmitriev, the head of a Russian sovereign fund. We know all those guys. Talked about them ad nauseum during the Mueller She Wrote podcast. All were involved closely in scrutinized meetings in the Seychelles before the Trump inauguration. Remember? Oh, it wasn't an organized meeting. We just sort of bumped into each other at the Four Seasons in the Seychelles. Just a Trump surrogate and a Putin surrogate, you know, just hacking it up about, you know, sanctions or maybe that came up. I'm not sure. It was just a just bumped into him on accident, had a beer. No bigs. The committee... I also believe Prince, best known as, as best known as the founder of former mercenary company Blackwater and the brother of Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, may have lied about his interactions with Dmitriev. I have news for you. Uh, he did. No charges were filed in, connections, uh, in connection with the meetings, but investigators suspected that the men had been seeking to arrange a clandestine back channel between the incoming Trump administration and Moscow. It's unclear from the committee's letter what Bannon and Prince might have lied about, but he and Prince have told conflicting stories about the Seychelles meeting. <laughs> Prince said he returned to the United States and updated Bannon about his conversations. Bannon said that never happened. That's according to the special counsel's office. Quote, it's impossible to respond to something I've never heard about. 
said William Burke. Remember him? Lawyer for Bannon? Burke said he never heard from the U.S. Attorney's Office about his client. He was also representing McGahn, I believe, which meant they were all singing off the same sheet of music because you can't be a lawyer and represent people who have conflicting stories. <laughs> anyway, Matthew Schwartz, a lawyer for Prince, defended his client's cooperation with Capitol Hill and Mueller's office. Quote, there's nothing new for the Department of Justice to consider, nor is there any reason to question the special counsel's decision to credit Mr. Prince and rely on him in drafting his report. The committee also asked the Justice Department to investigate Sam Clovis, former co-chairman of the Trump campaign, for possibly lying about his interactions with Peter Smith, the Republican donor, died by suicide. And he had a secret effort to obtain former Secretary Clinton's missing emails. Remember, they found his suicide note? No foul play. <laughs> Clovis could not be reached for comment either. And in the two-page letter, the committee raised concerns that testimony given by the president's family and advisors uh, contradicted what Rick Gates, the former deputy campaign chairman, told the special counsel about when people within the Trump campaign knew about the June 9th meeting at Trump Tower with Veselnitskaya. When the meeting became public, Trump Jr. initially claimed it was about Russian adoptions, but emails written by Trump Jr. that were later made public showed he had agreed to the meeting, but because he had been assured that the Russian's lawyer had official documents and information that would incriminate Clinton... The Democratic candidate for president at the time, as we all know, the email said the information would be very useful to your father. And the music promoter Rob Goldstone, who we had on the show, told Trump Jr. the damaging information on Clinton was part of Russia and its government for support for Mr. Trump. And, of course, we know what Don Jr. wrote back. If it's what you say, I love it. And Gates, a longtime deputy to Manafort, was one of the highest-ranking Trump campaign advisors to flip on the president as he was a foundational witness during the Mueller investigation. Gates told the special prosecutor that days before the June 9th meeting, Trump Jr. announced a regular morning meeting of senior campaign staff and Trump family members that he had a lead on negative information about the Clinton Foundation. That's what Gates says. Trump and Kushner and Hicks and Manafort denied prior knowledge of the meeting in interviews with the Senate Intel Committee. So he lied. And a White House spokeswoman, as well as lawyers for Kushner and Hicks, did not immediately respond for requests to comment. We are fully confident in the testimony and information provided by Donald Trump Jr. That's according to Alan Futterfoss, Jr.'s lawyer. Lying to Congress is a felony, and two Trump allies, Michael Cohen and his former lawyer, Roger Stone, his longtime political advisor <clears throat> and self-described dirty trickster, were charged with that crime during the special counsel investigation. Cohen pleaded guilty and was sentenced to prison, though he was recently released on home confinement due to the pandemic. Stone was convicted at trial. As we know, his sentence was commuted. After Bill Barr tried to interject and lower his sentencing recommendation, the committee's referral to the U.S. Attorney's Office came after the Mueller report was released. Hmm. Barr was there. Anyway, and this is impressive, by the way, this next story. Uh, Durham, who is the guy that Barr tasked with investigating the oranges of the Russia probe, uh, he made his big announcement Friday. And as expected, it's old news. FBI lawyer Kleinsmith is expected to plead guilty for altering an official FBI email. Though I wish he wouldn't, because I don't think the case is that strong, considering a total lack of intent, not to mention the thing he altered was not material to obtaining the FISA warrant, as stated by the Inspector General Horowitz. I'm surprised he's pleading guilty. So why on earth are Bill Barr and Durham trying to limit the scope retroactively of Crossfire Hurricane. Because in, in the charging document, they uh, Durham says, uh, you know, for, for Kleinsmith, Durham says, 
that the FBI opened a criminal in FARA, uh, you know, Foreign Agents Registration Act uh, probe into Trump Russia. He called Crossfire Hurricane a criminal investigation. And it wasn't. It was a counterintelligence investigation. So I'm like, what is the motive to sort of to limit the scope retroactively, which you can't do, of, of the FBI investigation by calling it criminal and not counterintelligence? So I emailed Annie McCabe, um, which is probably rude and taking advantage of a friendship, but I couldn't figure out why they would want to limit the scope of the probe. And and then it hit me as soon as I clicked send. But let me let me uh, pull up this email for you. I sent him an email. I said, hello, I'm racking my brain today with a charging document for Kleinsmith, incorrectly calling Crossfire Hurricane a Farah criminal probe. Why would Barr be trying to retroactively narrow the scope of the investigation? Is this to somehow get Flynn off the hook for his Farah violations or something bigger? I don't understand the motive. Uh, also, how are you? That, that was my email. And he wrote back and he says, you've probably seen this already, but it's a great description of the error and how it's immaterial. And then he gave uh, me the link to Empty Wheel, Marcy Wheeler's blog post about this. And I highly recommend everybody check that out because it really does a great job of explaining what the e what was changed in the email, why it's immaterial. It, it just it'll make you question why he's pleading guilty. I don't know if he was pushed or blackmailed. I don't understand why he's pleading guilty. But anyway, if, if he did break the law, fine, be punished. That's I, I'm all about, you know, equal justice. Um, and then Andy goes on, he says, Weissman, Andrew Weissman and others have tweeted about this, but I don't think anyone really knows what Durham is up to. It may just be a total lack of understanding of, of what the investigation is or something more tactical, trying to reframe the FBI's authorities as something smaller than they were. Trying to figure these crafty snakes out is a full-time, unfulfilling job. Uh, most importantly, we are all good. Hope you are as well. Now, I don't know. I, I feel like that's this is a it, it's a <laughs> trying to figure these out is a full-time, unfulfilling job. I don't know if he was like, let it go. <laughs> I feel like he's trying to just be like, mm, let it lie, he. Uh, but I, I just I, I feel like I'm gaming this out and. What it seems like to me, and here's what I think it is, and uh, personally, I think it has to do with they're going to make a legal argument to the public that the Russia investigation had no predicate to be opened. It it shouldn't have been opened in the first place, and everyone who was prosecuted under the Russia investigation should be pardoned, acquitted, commuted. Everyone. All indictments should be withdrawn. I think they're going to try to make that argument. And I think it's going to be legally easier for them to make it if the FBI's probe were a criminal probe and not a counterintelligence probe. So put some beans on that, because that is what I think is. That's what I think they're teeing up, and that's going to be their October surprise. I know it sounds big and crazy and tinfoil hatty, but. So did the entire uh, Russia collusion thing in, you know, in the first place. Um, uh, anyway, that's what I think is going to happen. Uh, also, in the news uh, today, um, the post office, as we know, is in trouble. 
Um, we've reported on this all week. We've been screaming about it at the top of our lungs. There are photos of, of mailboxes being booted and locked up and, and sometimes picked up and put on trucks and sent to mailbox graveyards. And they've admitted to destroying sorting machines uh, that can sort 300,000 pieces of mail an hour and would be used to sort ballots. They're, and they're, they're, they're not, this isn't a money-saving technique. They're destroying these million-dollar machines and throwing them in the dumpster. It's not like they're being moved to different areas. And there are huge, massive delays in the mail. They've cut overtime. They've disallowed it. And this is all DeJoy, who used to be an RNC uh, chair, the head of the Republican National Committee, along with Steve Wynn, Elliot Broidy, and Nader, all of whom have either been arrested or had to quit for raping kids (laughs) or sexual harassment or sexual assault. So, real great group of guys. Makes you wonder about DeJoy, because where there's three, there's four. But we were screaming about this. We were tell- and, the, and the House has gone on vacation, and the, the, the Senate has gone on, on break. And I put out a tweet on August 5th, and because we had learned that they were going to call DeJoy in on September 17th. And I said, what the fuck September 17th that is more than a month from now that is unacceptable and I got all this pushback from people saying hey chill out it's because of the senate break it's actually a really fast turnaround time you just need to calm down well tell me that again Nancy Pelosi agrees with me she is bringing the house back from break to hold an emergency hearing on this matter Hopefully they'll pass a clean bill to fund the USPS. Hopefully the Senate will look at it. I know Trump will not want to sign it. We will need a veto-proof authority to do it. And uh, because he'll, he'll want to veto it, much like Russian sanctions. Remember when he held his nose and signed that bill? I don't want to do this. But Senate voted 84 to 12 or whatever. <laughs> like you have Two people didn't vote. Like, you have to. Sorry. Or four people. Four people didn't vote on that. Uh, anyway. Um, she's calling everybody back early. We'll see what happens. But keep the pressure on. It is because of public pressure that she's calling the House back. And we can't let up now. Because we have to keep putting the public pressure on to get the Postal Service funded. Turn those machines back on, as it were. And... Um, we have to fully support the post office. Uh, we'll be right back with headlines from under the radar. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. We all know summer's here. It's crazy hot outside, and we also know we should drink more water and stay hydrated. Drinking enough water increases your brain power, it boosts your productivity, prevents headaches, increases your focus, improves your skin, improves your mood, helps your digestion, and gives you energy. It prevents bad breath, and you can help. it helps you lose weight. Uh, how much water should you drink every day? 10 cups, a gallon? The good news is that it doesn't have to be so complicated. That's why I start my day with Hydrant. Hydrant helps you hydrate faster. 
Hydrant has created a refreshing electrolyte powder that you mix directly into water to more efficiently and effectively hydrate your body. It hydrates you quickly and keeps you going for longer. Each rapid hydration mix has four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. And it packs a punch to help your body hydrate fast and stay hydrated. So if you're looking for that extra boost of energy, there's also Hydrant Plus Caffeine, which contains 100 milligrams of caffeine from green tea. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by an Oxford scientist, and it's also loved by pro athletes, top performers, celebrities, and thousands of five-star reviews online. It's made with real fruit juice powder. It's delicious and refreshing, and it comes in a variety of flavors, including new summer-friendly iced tea lemonade, fruit punch. Uh, they just have so many. My favorite right now is blood orange. It's so good. It tastes amazing. I always feel refreshed and revitalized after I drink it. Plus, it's backed by 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't love it, send it back for a full refund. You really need to try it for yourself to see what I'm talking about. It tastes incredible, and it works. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. Save even more with a monthly subscription. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. You can save 25% off your first order by going to drinkhydrant.com slash dailybeans or enter promo code dailybeans at checkout. That's D-R-I-N-K-H-Y-D-R-A-N-T dot com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans to save 25%. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is time for Headlines from Under the Radar, and I am here with Jordan Coburn. Hey, Jordan. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? I am excellent. I am feeling really pumped this week. We've got, I don't know, I'm just in so, I've like become in a good mood since Kamala Harris was picked, and I, uh, that big story that I covered in the lead about Bannon and Clovis uh, and Eric Prince lying to uh, Congress, which sucks because obviously Barr's been sitting on it doing nothing. But just that, just that basically our entire podcast was correct. Like, I just feel good about that. Today. <laughs> that like, is a nice feeling. <laughs> it is. I ran around the house naked screaming, I told you, I told you, I told all of you. What did I say? Oh, my God. And, uh, <laughs> so that was a moment. It, it, but it's not. But it seems like not big news now. Everyone's like, "Oh yeah, they lied." We, yeah, okay. Right. But I just want to like reach out to all of our old Mueller she wrote listeners and say, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah for for our for our for our vindication this week. But um, yeah. again, nothing's being done about it. Right. Womp womp. As as we talk about a lot since the courts and just everything in government in general moves so slowly, there's probably going to be a lot of naked running around the house moments that seem misplaced in time, but they're actually just <laughs> delayed naked sprees, you know? <laughs> delayed naked sprees. Okay. That is the title of <laughs> Delayed naked sprees. Got it. Okay. I like that that's how you celebrate, too. <laughs> Yeah, it must be naked. <laughs> it's naked time, as Dana Carvey would say. Uh, anyway, here's some uh, not so great news uh, because you know we have to deliver it. Um, yeah. It's what we do, but I'll do it in a calm, soothing voice, and I'll right. do it with swears so that you can fall asleep <laughs> to it. The private healthcare technology vendor that's helping to manage the Trump administration's coronavirus database. Remember when he pulled it out of the CDC and, like, you know, mm-hmm. hired this private firm to, mm-hmm. to to manage government data? What could go wrong? Mm-hmm. Anyway, they have refused to answer questions from top Senate Democrats about its $10.2 million contract, saying they signed a non disclosure agreement with the Federal Department of Health and Human Services. Hmm. Mm. Now, in a, in a letter obtained by the New York Times, which was dated August 3rd, uh, a lawyer for the Pittsburgh-based Teletracking Technologies cited the NDA uh, in refusing to provide information about its process 
for collecting data and sharing data. Its proposal to the government for the contract and communications with White House staff or other officials and any other information related to the award. So basically, nothing. We aren't going to tell you anything. And this is what happens when you privatize government. They, you, you don't get to hold them to account. Like when we were worried if it was Blackwater and Eric Prince that was, you know, sending um, federal police officers into Portland and D.C. to snatch peaceful protesters off the street. Right. We were like, there's a problem with this. If they're private contractors, we can't hold them to account. And now we've actually found out that not only were there a lot of private contractors, but we found out that Chad Wolf and Ken Cuccinelli aren't even legitimate secretary and deputy secretary of, of Department of Homeland Security. So when they hired and sent Border Patrol agents, they had no um, authority. authority to mm-hmm. do that. And a spokeswoman for the Department of Health and Human Services said members of Congress should direct their inquiries to the government, not the company. Uh, But Senator Patty Murray of Washington, who's the top Democrat on the Senate Health Committee, sent a letter to the agency in June seeking similar information. She's not received a reply. They're like, we signed an NDA. You talk to the government about that shit. Oh, sure. We'll just subpoena members of the Trump administration. I'm sure that's real easy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like there's a there's probably a reason they're going to the private company and not the people that hired them. But they did go to the people that hired them. Right. They just didn't answer. Yep. Yeah, they're, they're like, nope. And then they, they say, okay, well, you need to, they're like, don't don't ask us, ask the government. We signed a thing where we can't tell you anything uh-huh. about what we're doing for the people of the United States of America. And the arrangement was unusual, um, according to Jessica Tillotman, an assistant dean at George Washington University Law School. Where I want to go there so bad. She teaches about government contracts and anti-corruption. And she said one of the cornerstones of the federal pros- uh, procurement system is transparency. So it strikes me as odd, she said. Mm-hmm. Uh, teletracking was responding to a July 22nd letter from two top Democrats, Schumer and Murray, and two recently in, the two re- recently in introduced legislation aimed at protecting data transparency. This is an issue that Chuck Schumer addressed during recent talks with Mark Meadows, the White House chief of staff, and Steve, the Treasury secretary, and that's according to a person familiar with those talks. And Schumer says the Trump administration's decision to hire a private vendor and then cloak that vendor in an NDA raises numerous questions about their motivations and risks the ability of our public health experts to understand and effectively fight the virus. Yeah. Thanks for stating the obvious, Chuck. Yeah. I mean, back to you, Jordan. Yes. (laughs) I feel (laughs) the only thing that they could be doing is just giving their buddies money, right? Like, otherwise, why would they need to make them sign an NDA? Or they're doing something sketchy. Obviously. Totally. Goddamn. They totally. suck. Total Sketch. Yeah. Sketch or not? Yeah. 100%. Are sketch. they breaking the law? It's time to play a sketch or not. Hey. Yay. Yeah, sketch. It's total sketch. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Everything he touches is sketch. <laughs> uh, some more coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> it's just never ending, dude. <laughs> it's so crazy. You know how they say like, I, th- I think I read one time that, like, uh, Oprah said literally all she does when she wakes up is just, like, think about money. Just, like, how can I make money, you know? And whatever, you know, philanthropic lens she always spins on that as well. How can I help other people make money? But she's always thinking about money. That's how his his brain is with being sketch. Always. The amount of sketch that they pack into just a 24-hour day is honestly, it would be inspiring if it wasn't so evil. It's incredible the things that they do. Every place you turn is sketch. I know. Everywhere. I know. Fuck. No! Oh! Ooh. <laughs> All right. We're leaving that in. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. 
Even Coco agrees. Yeah, she's so tiny and she has such an old ass man bark. Coco, what is this? What is this? Right. I know. She sounds like she sounds like an Coco. eighty pound bloodhound. <laughs> yeah. And she's like a twenty pound tiny little cute face. Then she, so then she lays down and she sets her chin on the ground like I am ashamed. Is there <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that that and then they and then the eyebrows yeah the raised eyebrows oh, looking she, around now she's going yeah. and self-exiling to the mirror where she stares at herself mm. <laughs> oh my god well she's so cute anyways so- i love that she's i love that she's as existential as you are yeah <laughs> yeah she just sits there thinking about what it all means her structure of her eyebrows <laughs> she's questing. all of it yes i, I do that I say that to my dog all the time when she's like looking like she's really deep in thought. I'm like, I know, questing is hard. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Hey, fun fun Coco story, really quick. So I got my my uh, couch steam cleaned. It's been a couple years. I'm like, this is probably a good idea. My my dog's warm ridden butt has been all over it. Let's steam clean it. And so I get it steam cleaned in the morning. Two hours later, Coco jumps up on it and barfs all over it. She's never barfed in the house ever. I was like. Of course, of course. Oh my God! Just complete barf. Anyways, uh, I love you, Coco. <laughs> God. Oh, all right. Here we go. Continuing on. So, some coronavirus coronavirus updates. Um, so CDC they've updated their guidance. Their their uh, basically they think uh, or they have confidently confirmed and suggested that people who recover from COVID-19 can safely be around other people for about three months. So they're seeing this immunity that lasts about uh, 90 days. They can confidently say that if there's any sort of case where within 90 days of testing positive, someone like still experiences symptoms after they thought that they had healed from it, it, it's probably just some lingering symptoms from their initial infection. So it's, there's some pretty good data out there that if you tested positive and you recovered, you'd be good for the next three months. But the guidance is still, obviously, social distance when possible, wear masks all the time. You know, they're not saying, like, go fucking buck wild around this. Start, like, rubbing your titties in people's face, your COVID titties. But I guess titties don't transmit COVID. Rub your titties, actually, if you're going to rub anything in someone's face. Titties are probably a good choice. But I digress. Um, <laughs> That is the COVID... Uh, guidelines on immunity so far. That was like, I mean, it's very up in the air still, right? Because there's reports of people getting reinfected again. So they're definitely not even close to saying anything that amounts to people being immune forever after they get it. So that's very important because I think that's a common misconception that people have. When you, if you like, if you get it and you recover, you're fine to just go and frolic everywhere for all times. And that's not the mm. case. Um, nope. No, not at all. Next quick headline, COVID-19 related. So there are researchers at about a dozen clinical trial sites that are saying that testing delays, staffing shortages, space constraints, and reluctant patients are apparently complicating their efforts to test these monoclonal antibodies, which are drugs that are man-made that are supposed to mimic the uh, molecular soldiers, they call them, uh, that are made by the immune system. So it's delaying what they were hoping would be a relatively, you know, early rollout of the vaccines that they're testing. So this is, I mean, it's not like a, a huge piece of bad news. It's just kind of 
a, a setback that they're experiencing and it's kind of a bummer because I think they had initially said by the end of the summer maybe we'd be able to sort of see something now they're changing that amending it saying that they think it could be available by the end of September so that's a that's a shift <laughs> from where they were at before. Yeah, th- that and not to mention they only have about, Moderna's only recruited about 5,000 people for their 30,000 person trial. Right. They're no, nowhere near that. Right. And so we're probably going to end up, Trump will probably drop a couple billion dollars to buy the vaccine from Russia so he can release it on election day. And, <laughs> and it's probably- all, yeah, fucking, you want to talk about Bill Gates microchips? Fucking Putin microchip is way more sketchy that's definitely something we should be looking out for procure your vaccines from your own fucking country let's just start with that maybe at least when russia is the other country i'm all for sharing information in science but when putin's the one putting it up no thank you i know i don't yeah i don't <laughs> yeah not right now not in these fucking times he's exercising all possible channels to undermine every part of our democracy and i do not take liquid things that get injected into your body off the table (laughs) don't want to fucking that's his jam dude he loves things he loves liquids that you inject into other people polonium yeah and it's it's (sighs) sorry go ahead no i I was just gonna kvetch more but (laughs) i love that word by the way that is a fantastic word Mm. um okay and (laughs) yes and a final quick update France on Friday, they declared Paris and their Marseille region is uh, high risk right now. So local authorities are now being given the power to impose new restrictions that's going to be, you know, aimed at containing this spread. So Paris is like, you know, obviously their most densely populated city. And that makes sense to a degree. If they were going to see a spike somewhere, Paris would make sense. Uh, That increase is also making it so that Britain, they added France to their list of countries that visitors uh, coming from there have to quarantine. So kind of some bummer news coming out of France. I mean, but we're seeing, we're, we're seeing these clusters pop up all across the world. Australia, New Zealand, they're starting to see more cases coming up they're starting to have more issues on their you know kind of like border enforcement there's reports of things kind of slipping through the cracks that were previously um it's just you know everyone's gonna have to stay on top of their shit as much as they can for a very extended period of time well damn yeah damn is right some good news <laughs> and and just in from ag damn, damn. <laughs> now um and now for the good news yes a very quick piece of good news just locally in san diego uh we were taken off the county watch list recently you had to have under 100 hospitalizations i think it was for three days in a row and we met that metric and that's just some local celebration that we can have here i think also the trajectory of the clusters that we were seeing falls in line with the 4th of July weekend when we were the only fucking county in California, basically, that was open and everybody just like flooded mm-hmm. here. I swear that must yep. have been a huge part of the spike that we saw. And it's like very, very frustrating, but it's starting to go back down. Knock on wood. Yeah. hundred percent. That's what it was. And I, I'm, I fear Labor Day. Yeah, me too. will be similar. Me too. Um, now, this is a cool story. Um, a good friend of ours, Paige Wesley, who also hosts the Cult Podcast, uh, and she appeared on episode 17 of Muller She Wrote, 
she um she has a patron a podcast patron that submitted a design for the new mississippi state flag and it's in top five contention and as you know Mississippi's flag has long been emblazoned with the stars and bars of the Confederacy. And as America grows and evolves, we're excited that Mississippi has chosen to rise to the occasion by updating their flag, removing the Confederate flag from it. Uh, and they're trying to have a more inclusive design that represents their past and their diversity and their investment in a united future. And as I said, one of the uh, cult podcast's Mississippi listeners, Gregory Murphy, took this to heart. He reached out to Paige to help design a flag, and then he used his patron shout-out uh, to get the word out. And she's excited to, to let us know, and we want to share it with you, that their flag design, like I said, has made it through three rounds, and they're now part of the top nine designs. Well, five designs, but you had to submit two different color choices. And so you can vote for their flag. Go to M-D-A-H. That's M as in Mary, D as in David, A as in Alpha, H as in Hotel, mdah.ms.gov slash flagpole, but flag, P-O-L-L, not P-O-L-E, flagpole, uh, and vote. Uh, their designs are number four and number five, um, same flag, two different colors. So check it out. Um, and uh, Paige wanted me to read this message. We encourage everyone to examine the history of their own flag and push for changes where needed. So thanks, Paige. Thanks, Cult Podcast. And thanks to, to Mississippi Listener who designed the flag and maybe, maybe, He'll, you know, maybe the, our friends will have designed the Mississippi State flag. It's just very exciting. Yeah, that is super exciting. I feel like, you know, you would think that flags would be a much more democratic process all around, but I guess so many of them are so old and they just didn't see the need to change them, but the need definitely exists, like you said, because some of them have some fucked up stuff on there. For mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, that's so cool. I love the shout out. Good on ya. Um, also yeah. listen to Cult Podcast. It's like a fantastically researched and very well done um, deep dive into into cults. Yeah, and they they cover yep. they cover yep. a whole bunch of things things that maybe you wouldn't think of as cults, but definitely are cultish in nature. Very good podcast. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so my final story for this block is coming out of uh, Belarus. So. There have been protests, a, a huge group of protesters that have been coming out against the recent election that just elected the yeah, very... Yeah, this is big. Yes. Uh, so... This is really big and important. And, and I actually see a lot of us in what's happening over there. Absolutely. And it's it's terrifying um and i'm glad you're reporting on this jordan i'm sorry I no it's okay you. go ahead no no it's okay i totally agree it is very big and you know our listeners have heard of belarus that's the home country of uh nastia ribka who we reported on for a long time and she was you know deripaska's boat person and there's so boat person, boat person. <laughs> yes of you. yes i mean boat whore seems to be the popular choice but i'm turning it into boat person <laughs> yeah. because you know we support sex workers so we exactly don't wanna, you, you exactly don't even if say anything derogatory about boat hose right but she, even if yeah. they're exploiting whatever Remember? position they have to, to yeah to either be on Deripaska's side or not be whenever it feels like the right time for them to do such a thing yes i i stand by boat person she's a <laughs> she's a bpsw yes she's a boat person for, sex worker yes That's exactly exactly 
Um, <laughs> oh my god. All right. So, sex coach. Yes, exactly. What a fucking crazy story that was. My god. And is. I know. Still is crazy. I know. Yeah. But, so, so, okay. So, Belarus right now is going through and has been going through the leadership of President Alexander Lukashenko, who is just not transparent and does not represent democracy at all in the ways that their people overwhelmingly want he is backed by putin he has held the office for 26 years he tries to squash any amount of rebellion whenever it comes up and that's what's happening right now as their people in belarus are rising up against an election that just happened that they do not see as legitimate Uh, he won by an incredible incredible margins just to the point where the numbers are just obviously not the case especially when you look at that in conjunction with the amount of public opposition that he is facing and protesters there's 50,000 of them in number that were showing up that was as of 3 p.m. Uh, local time when the story was being reported they're showing up with such massive numbers and they are being tortured and beaten there's reports coming out of belarus that that is happening there's photo documentation and video documentation that confirms that and they are yeah did you see the video of the protesters like uh, like that they forced to say that they've denounced the resistance and god you know, they're all in the room and they're like, some are bleeding from the head and they're terrified and they're like, yes, no, I, 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 I repent or whatever. Yeah. And, and they're lined up against a wall and forced to speak out against what they were protesting against. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, like denounce whatever, denounce their, yeah, for, their forced apology or whatever. Yeah. Backtracking. Mm-hmm. It's, t- it's terrifying. And it, it's, and if anyone, sees that that's somehow different from what happened in Portland what's what's what what happened in DC what's going on in Chicago I don't understand I don't see how you can anyone can look at Belarus and go oh it must suck to be them and then just totally not see what's happening here in our own country but um yeah uh, even Lindsey Graham is speaking out against against this is it um, how what kind of uh, fucked up psychological concept is that that when something is happening in another country i know their situation is it is objectively worse than ours when it comes to the legitimacy the legitimacy of their elections like you know 26 years that's fucking insane obviously it's at a new level there yeah at like 80 80 percent right (laughs) right totally stuffed ballot boxes yeah we aren't there yet we're close, but... But aside from that, though, you're totally right. When we're talking about the brutality that people are experiencing in the streets that are expressing their right to vote, which is something that people in Belarus and leaders all around the world are calling for, which is to allow their people to exercise their right to protest, It's there is a huge parallel there. The pictures that are coming out of there are similar to a lot of the things we've seen here. We've seen videos here of people getting shot in the head and bleeding out of their face. We see videos over there of people with bruises and blood, and it's just complete brutality against their own people that are peacefully protesting and they're quite literally in the middle Mm -hmm. of their fight for democracy right now and he is um when i say he i'm talking about lukashenko he's bussing in protesters to be counter protesters so they had a protest that was going on at the same time that this 50,000 plus protest was happening by opposition 
people and this one he had 10,000 people show up to so it just pales in comparison to what's actually organically coming out in the streets not people that are being bust in whereas he is fucking yeah, and that's that's an active measure that's yeah. it's it's called uh opposition control uh and it well not just you know busing and opposition protesters but that you're also in charge of the resistance protest you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you you control both sides of the equation mm-hmm. um and so it's it's not surprising to me at all he's bussing in you know anti anti-establishmentarianism right <laughs> which is you know right yeah it's Sorry. it's just really no no problem yeah it's it's just really insane what's happening this is all after opposition leader svetlana tikhanovskaya she fled uh, to Lithuania and Lithuania is one of the countries Lithuania Poland and Ukraine um, they're they're all you know kind of coming together sort of aware of the problem that's going on and they're standing in solidarity or much of them are standing in solidarity with the opposition and you know they're not they're not plotting any sort of military action like Lukashenko is saying they are uh, he came out and said, there's a buildup of military power on the western borders of the country. Lithuania, Poland, Ukraine are ordering us to hold new elections. If we listen to them, we will perish. So that's like super Trump language, right? We hear that shit from Trump all the time. If you do this, it will be the end of the yeah. world. It's super just like dramatic fascist takeover language. And yeah, if you if you don't vote for me, everyone you know will die yep. and, and you'll have no money forever. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they're just exercising awesome. everything everything that they can uh, as a fascist like dictator like leader over there right now and our our hearts are with them and uh, we'll definitely i mean all 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 of the world's eyes right now are on belarus yeah and we're with them um and the resistance 100 percent, and we will keep you posted on the uprising in belarus and um man that's just it's it's terrifying and it's and it's also you know it's it's terrifying from a point of view of how we're you know this this is where we're on the road to to that Mm -hmm. and uh it's it's um yeah my heart is just with all of with the people Mm -hmm. and um we'll keep you updated on this everybody stick around we're gonna be right back with oh who did i talk to today oh Yes, Steve Vladek. And we're going to talk about the Vacancies Act and what that has to do with the fact that Chad Wolf and Ken Cuccinelli are illegitimate bastards. We'll be right back with that. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG. The segment of Daily Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Like many of our listeners out there, I have experienced a variety of sleep issues, especially since Trump was elected. Trouble falling asleep, tossing and turning all night, getting up feeling tired and sore in the morning. And like I said, at first I thought my insomnia was caused by the nightmare of a president that thinks that the Spanish flu in 1917 ended World War II. And it was 1918, but not World War II. Anyway, lots of sleep lost. But it turned out also I had a garbage mattress, and that's why I wasn't getting the best sleep that I could. But everything changed when I got my Helix mattress. I love it. It is amazing. Jordan loves hers. Joelle and Amanda love theirs. Helix Sleep understands you're unique, and they customize the mattress to fit you and the way you sleep, match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. If you like a mattress that's soft or firm, or if you sleep on your side or your back, with Helix, there is a specific mattress for everyone. Like me, I was matched with a Helix Midnight because I like my bed medium firm, and I sleep on my side. I'm a side sleeper, so it's perfect for me. But don't take my word for it. They were 
were awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 and 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And they have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it for 100 sleeps, and they'll pick it up if you don't love it, and you'll get a full refund. But you'll love it. And Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So this weekend, the GAO, or Government Accountability Office, which is part of the legislative branch, so out of the reach of the influence of Trump and Barr, and by the way, is the group that determined Trump's withholding of Ukraine aid violated the Impoundment Control Act, has determined that the acting deputy secretary and acting secretary of Department of Homeland Security, Ken Cuccinelli and Chad Wolf, respectively, were invalidly appointed to their roles. And joining us today to discuss the implications is Federal Vacancies Reform Act expert, University of Texas law professor, co-host of the National Security Law Podcast, Steve Vladek. Steve, thanks for being here. Thank you. Although I'm not, I'm not sure that Federal Vacancies Reform Act expert is a, is a marketable profession much longer, but we'll see. <laughs> Well, uh, from a little bit of a discussion that we had before I hit the record button, you say that that really doesn't have anything to do with it. Uh, so can you tell us what the Federal Vacancies Reform Act says and if it applies here? Why And, and if not, why are these two <laughs> illegitimate? Yeah, this this story is so like classic Trump. Um, so, I mean, if I can put this in context, the story begins on April 7th. Um, 2019, when, you know, in the middle of a Sunday night, Trump bursts onto Twitter to say that Kirsten Nielsen, the Secretary of Homeland Security, was stepping down, which was news apparently to everyone, including her, um, and that he was installing Kevin McAleenan as the acting secretary. Um, the problem, as it turns out, is that uh, if Nielsen had in fact stepped down or been fired, whatever, um, Claire Grady, who was then the undersecretary, for management at DHS would have automatically become the acting secretary, but the White House didn't know that. Um, and so there's this wild scramble on that Sunday night to basically sort of undo everything. So Nielsen first purports to unresign, and there's an open question about whether that was even effective. Um, and then she spends the next three days basically getting all the ducks in a row for McAleenan. So first, they fire Grady to get her out of the way. And then Nielsen purports to change the internal order of succession, not under the Federal Vacancies Reform Act, which is sort of the government-wide vacancy statute, but under the DHS-specific statute, which says, and you know, folks want to read this, it's 6 U.S.C. section 113G. Um, and what it says is, at Homeland Security, you've got the secretary, you've got the deputy secretary, You've got the undersecretary for management, but after that, the order of succession is up to the secretary. And so Nielsen, on her last full day in office, the second time, right after she unresigns, purports to change the secretary's own order of succession so that McAleenan would be first. Um, and so that when she actually you know, resigns the second time, um, McAleenan takes over as the uh, acting secretary. Um, the problem, as it turns out, is that in all the rush to do this, um, Nielsen signed the wrong order. <laughs> oh. And, and so um, the, she, what she thought she was doing was changing the DHS order of succession in all cases. What she actually did was change the DHS order of succession only in cases where the vacancy was caused by a catastrophe. Um, and so, you know, basically she... Was that like a boilerplate uh, template that she didn't realize? Or yes. 
Oh. <laughs> and so, I mean, the, and the and so the administration. I mean, you know, this has even before the GAO opinion came out. The, this has been this is being litigated. I think in the Portland, one of the Portland lawsuits, and the administration's position. I'm not kidding. Is that yeah? The order she signed says what it says, but everyone understood what she meant to do. I mean, the, the administration is literally arguing that we should ignore the text of the order she signed, which is not ambiguous, um, because she messed up. Well, I'm I'm trying to get a divorce, but I didn't mean to marry him, so I get to keep everything, right? I mean, you know, it depends on if you're a textualist or not. <laughs> so, so, so this all sort of, I mean, I I, I I provide all that context not because you know it's sort of um, a, a funny story, although we're laughing. Mm. Um, but because I think it's important to sort of, you know, we're only, we only got here because of a very Trumpy maneuver in the first place, which was, you know, Nielsen wasn't doing, you know, she wasn't caging enough children mm. for the White House's preferences. Um, and so they oust her unceremoniously, but in such a way where they actually completely botch everything that happens thereafter. So GAO comes along on Friday um, and GAO says basically what everyone had been arguing for a while, which is, yeah, Nielsen signed the wrong order, which has a bunch of downstream consequences. So downstream consequence number one, McAleenan was not actually her successor. Um, and so McAleenan should not have been and legally was not the acting secretary of Homeland Security as of April 10th, 2019. But then it gets even better. Because while McAleenan was purporting to act as the acting secretary, he changed the order of succession again um, in order to put Wolf and then Cuccinelli in the top two spots at DHS. And so GAO says, well, that's all well and good, but McAleenan wasn't lawfully appointed in the first place, so he didn't have the authority to do that. Mm. And so the, the invalidity of Wolf and Cuccinelli's appointments follow from the invalidity of McAleenan's appointment. And there okay. will be a quiz. Okay, I got it. But now, uh, thank you, Professor. What? <laughs> uh, let's pretend that we had some sort of robust oversight of the Department of Homeland Security, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah. But what does this mean for any policy created? I mean, we just went over the succession policy that's invalidated yeah. because of McAleenan yep. not being valid. But what other policies created since McAleenan took over? Uh, can they, can those be invalidated? What are the, what are the, what's the recourse of action on those specific policies and, uh, and you know, all that. So I think the first thing to say AG is it's a complete nightmare um, and a massive headache. Um, the second thing to say is yes, in general, um, things that were done specifically by either McAleenan as acting secretary or Wolf as acting secretary, where they were the only decision makers, where the statutory authority was exercised directly by, you know, someone purporting to be the acting secretary, those actions become legally vulnerable. Now, there's something called the de facto officer doctrine, which is this thing courts have invented to try to minimize the consequences of screw ups like this. Um, but at least some of these policies are going to be hard to salvage under the de facto officer doctrine. And I think the really two, the two most interesting recent examples are Wolf's um, appointment of all these CBP officers to go out and do what they did in Portland, mm -hmm. which only the secretary can do. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is not like the department has the power to do. Um, and the, the recent DACA, you know, we're not quite going to listen to the Supreme Court memo. That was right. issued under Chad Wolf's name. So 
the you know the GAO opinion of itself does nothing. GAO, as you say, is part of the legislative branch. They don't bind the executive branch, but there are already lawsuits that are challenging some of the Portland deployments, that are challenging the new DACA memo on the ground that the that the officers who purported to do these things didn't have the authority because they weren't lawfully appointed. I think the GAO opinion puts a ton of weight mm. behind those claims and makes it that much more likely that courts are going to say, that's right. <laughs> and this stuff all falls. Right. So it's this is going to be very helpful in court. Um, now, of course, the GAO has also referred this matter to the inspector general at the Department of Homeland Security. But that office has law, a lot of problems and a recent sordid history of indictments and failing to appear before Congress. You know, Washington Post even reported that DHS's uh, inspector general has been so weakened under the Trump administration, it's failing to provide basic oversight of the government's third largest federal agency, according to whistleblowers and lawmakers from both parties. So I don't have a lot of faith there, but I'm I'm glad to hear that this is going to carry a lot of weight in in our judicial branch. Well, also, I mean, it puts really interesting pressure on the White House because, you know, if you're the White House and you don't really care who the people are, you just care what the policies are. Um, at this point, you got to be pretty concerned that if you spend the next, you know, five months fighting over whether Wolf and Cuccinelli were lawfully appointed, you might get to January having lost that and be out of office with no ability to reissue these policies. Whereas if you actually shore up, you know, the senior leadership of DHS tomorrow, which I think, AG, they could do even without the Senate. I mean, I think there are still ways to identify who the proper um, acting officer should be. Pete, I mean, Pete Gaynor, who is the Senate-confirmed director of FEMA, um, is at least, you know, by my reading, the person who actually is right now the acting secretary of the department. So, you know, there are ways that the administration could do this without and sort of moot, right, any of these appointments challenges. I think what's going to be really important for the White House is, you know, what's more important to them, fighting over these appointments or shoring up all of these policies by just putting in people whose appointments can't be challenged and having them reissue the same paperwork. Huh. All right. Well, I guess that's where we stand with this. Um, and it, you, like you said, this is just a giant mess to untangle. And I guess we'll see what happens. Um, I, I, I assume if, if Biden is elected and this isn't sorted by January 21st, it's like you said, moot, right? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think, you know, the until and unless a new, you know, Biden administration, Homeland Security Department rescinds a bunch of these policies, you know, they're still on the books unless the court strikes them down. So, you know, I don't think that the mere sort of transition of power would end this dispute. Hmm. Um, you know, I think the question is going to be how long these policies stay on the books, what the courts do with them. Um, and then more generally, I mean, you know, next Friday, or I guess it's this coming Friday. Wow, time flies. Um, right. August uh, 21st is the 500th day in a row that we will not have a Senate-confirmed Secretary of Homeland Security. And so for all of the sort of Trump-specific, you know, ridiculousness that led us to this GAO opinion, I think the much broader point is, you know, how do we sort of get to a point where we're never leaving a cabinet position vacant for that long again, because this is the kind of mischief that ensues. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll definitely see what happens. We'll keep an eye on it and have you back when, when we do. Uh, all right. I have a left turn question here for you. And uh, this is just a hypothetical. I just need your keen legal mind because I've been pouring over this in my brain, uh, quote unquote, all morning, which is uh, and this is totally off on a different tangent here. But 
it it appears that there is a five page charging document of guilty plea for Klein Smith, who apparently altered an email in Crossfire Hurricane, the counterintelligence probe into Trump Russia. And in the charging document, and Andrew Weissman brings this up in paragraph two, he calls it a FARA investigation, not a counterintelligence investigation. And I'm racking my brain trying to figure out why Bill Barr or Bill Barr's Department of Justice or Durham would want to narrow the scope retroactively of Crossfire Hurricane from a counterintelligence investigation to a criminal investigation. Who does that benefit? What's the motive? I can't figure it out. Um, I think, I, I don't know the answer to that question, AJ. The best I can speculate is that um, the strongest argument still in defense, right? I mean, and, and I've always thought the strongest argument all along for why it was appropriate for the, you know, the Justice Department for, um, you know, ODNI to be doing what it did in late 2016 wasn't because of criminal activity. It was because of the counterintelligence concerns, right? And the, the very real intelligence issues that were arising out of the, the clear Russian a- attempts to, to interfere with the election. So, you know, Barr might be trying to sort of create a paper trail so that folks can now say, no, 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 there was never really a counterintelligence investigation, even though we all know there was, right? Mm-hmm. That's you know, that's the cynical view of what's going on. Yeah, it seems like he's kind of gerrymandering his culpability <laughs> by sort of carving out this, uh, or, you know, the culpability of some other people, uh, individual one or whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I, I think, I mean, to me, the broader point about, I mean, the, you know, Klein Smith, I think, obviously crossed the line. What's interesting to me is to see how different everyone's reactions are to Klein Smith you know, pleading guilty to making a false statement to the FBI um, and someone else named Michael Flynn doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I'll say if he if he broke the law, he should be equal justice under the law. I totally. uh, But on the other hand, it, what he did would not have changed the outcome, I don't think, of the FISA warrant. And Card- and, and, and we just got and, and we've been we, and we've been treated to a series of lectures over the last few months about how it's not appropriate to bring 1001 indictments <laughs> when the lie isn't material to the investigation, <laughs> which this one isn't oddly. Uh, but the Flynn one certainly is. All right. Well, thank you for answering that question for me. I know it was kind of out of left field, but it's been bugging me all morning. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll see. Keep me on my toes, AJ. We'll see where that goes from there. Hey, I I, I feel like if I'm ever going to be a law student, I want to get, get it out now where I get to quiz the law professors. So that's just sort of you know, where that. Well, you know, the, the great old law professor trick is when we don't know the answer, we, we just turn the question into a question back at the person who asked it. I did. We, it's not just law professors that do that. But yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. You're on to it. Uh, all right. Well, co-host of the National Security Law Podcast. Check out that podcast and professor of law at University of Texas, Steve Vladek. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Anytime, AG. Be well. You too. All right, everybody. Stick around right after this final break. We're going to have the good news block, so stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG. A few weeks back, I became a Thrive Market member. Uh, they're delivering organic and sustainable groceries right to my door. I've gotten my food, supplements, beauty products, and pet supplies through them. And I can't imagine shopping any other way. Uh, They have such a big variety of organic, sustainable, non-GMO and fair trade goods from companies that actually care about animal welfare and uh, carbon impact. And once you try Thrive Market, you'll love it as much as I do. Here's here's why. As a proud Thrive Market member, I get the products I love. My paid membership provides a free one for someone in need, like a low-income family, teacher, veteran, or first responder. And Thrive Market tailors to over 70 different diets and values like paleo, keto, plant-based. And they deliver the highest quality organic sustainable essentials from groceries, healthy snacks, meat and seafood, clean wines, non-toxic cleaning products, and bath and body stuff. And as a member, I'm saving 25 to 50% off traditional retail prices. And their carbon neutral shipping is free on all orders over $50. And the savings I get 
on my favorite clean organic products are great, but I also feel good about helping to support communities in need. In addition to their membership matching, you know, where they give a membership to someone in need, Thrive Market has raised over $750,000 to date for their COVID-19 relief fund. So go to thrivemarket.com slash dailybeans and join today, and you'll get a free gift of your choosing for up to $22 in value. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash dailybeans to start your risk-free membership and get a free gift today. thrivemarket.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news. It's on the way. And joining me today for the good news is Jordan Coburn. Hey. Hello. How you doing? Great. How are you? Good. Nice. I'm good today. Um... It's a good, it's been a good week and we have one week to go before we go on vacation. And I just want everyone to know there will still be a Daily Beans show. We're going to play you some of our favorite um, good news blocks and uh, interviews and, and things like that. But you won't have fresh news every day. And I'm super sorry about that. Although knowing me, I'll probably record like a 10 second thing yeah. every day and like send <laughs> it in. You know, you know me. Yes. I'll probably be like, oh my God, here's the headlines. Here's the headlines. Ready? Okay. Bye. Yeah. Uh, don't tell anyone. I'm supposed to be on vacation. I love you. Um, but I'm, I'm very excited for that. And we're going we're going up to wine country which is i mean there's a lot of wine countries but this is Temecula wine country where Dallas is running for the water board vote for Dallas McLaughlin um but we have good news thank you for sending in your good news and the first one i'm reading because it has a picture of a cat yay <laughs> and so that is i'm very excited and this is from uh Tony in Norfolk that's how you say it by the way uh, oh and i was right about Dorchester <laughs> Remember when I was like, it's probably not Dorchester. It's probably Dorchester. Or D- it's Dua. It's Duachester. Hell yeah. Um, so I was close. Nailed it. But Tony, sort of, <laughs> but Tony in Norfolk says, my good news is that two and a half years after our, our poison passed away, I was finally able to convince my spouse that our kids would benefit from having a podcat in the house. She's a 19-week-old tabby mix that we adopted from a no-kill shelter, and she's Precious. I'm so excited to have a pod pet again. And then there's pictures. Oh. And if you're a patron, I'll put them in the newsletter. You can get it if you're a patron, but only if you're a patron. Oh my gosh, she has such perfect, like little half and half face. Like that white I white nose with the little pink nose. Oh god. The little pink nose and the white thing and the then the tabby lines the stripes above the eyes mm-hmm. are perfect like so symmetrical oh oh little big paws so cute i love it oh pete's her pete's are adorable and she looks like a girl she's got a little girl f- oh she's just so cute yeah okay. she is very cute hell yes i love all the pod pet pictures keep them coming mm. next up from yes. anonymous pronouns she her anonymous says some shot in freuden I had to share with you this unbelievable story about a guy who belongs to a group of guys who post pictures of themselves pointing guns at their own uh, sacks, balls, nuts, jewels, scrotes, who shot himself. Okay, yeah, can we just pause first? What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. The pictures included in this are insane. What fucking idiots why yeah it's dudes pointing guns at their junk that that's the group that that there's a group 
this reminds me of the old George Carlin bit. He's like, everything has a magazine devoted to it. Yeah. Backpacking, <laughs> skeet shooting, sh- shooting somebody in the asshole with a dart gun. They probably got a fucking magazine for that. Walking! They have a magazine called Walking. Well, now there is a Facebook group for everything. And this one is dudes pointing guns at their junk. Oh, my God. All right. In San Diego. Well, it gets even better. Apparently, one of those guys shot himself in his own junk. He shot his own balls. Since this all falls directly in your wheelhouse, I figured you needed to hear about it. Yes. Mm. Yes, it does. And the link is called Gun Enthusiast Celebrate Man Who Shot Himself in the Balls as Their King. What kind of trolly-ass Second Amendment fuckers run this group? What the fuck? I don't know, but I encourage this. I encourage this behavior. Please, gentlemen, what, is point that, a gun at your balls. Is that supposed to be like, keep my gun or take my balls? Like, is that supposed to be some profound symbolic thing? What is this? Guns on balls. I'm Googling this. This is not going to be a good. <laughs> I don't know. Let's look up the, yeah, look up the Facebook group. Look up the Facebook group and see what they, if they've got a manifesto or some sort of group introduction. I'll, I'll read the next one while you're looking that up. This yeah. next uh, good news. <laughs> is from M, as in Mary, pronouns she, her. Uh, Doggo good news. Oh, there's a picture. Doggo good news from Montana. My dog, Cat, yep, that's her name, broke her little leg on June 2nd. It's been quite a recovery process, Mm -hmm. but today she walked 1.5 miles on all four legs. We're gradually working our way back to the usual four to five mile daily walks. She's been quite a trooper, though through this healing process i've attached a photo of her at her most miserable she's much happier sans cast and cone of shame stay safe and never jump off anything taller than you and look at her little oh my god shame her ears she's got to be part like shepherd or something those ears are hilariously adorable oh my god all right, I have some direct quotes from the man who shot himself in the balls. Can I please read them really quick? <laughs> okay, okay. So apparently, this is being reported by Vice. So apparently, he had a video of him shooting himself in the balls, and then there was a subsequent thread that had these like gnarly pictures of it and everything. So apparently, that's since been deleted. Uh, I'm sure it exists somewhere because the internet is a horrible place that never lets you forget anything. But he said in the post... Hey, boys, I might have fucked up. <laughs> this was accompanying a uh, picture of his naked legs and uh, some some blood on the carpet of his floor. That's gross. A towel stuffed between his legs and printed out is a copy of the Constitution crumpled up on the edge of the photo. What? Is this not some like crazy theater shit? Like, is this some deep art shit? I, I don't even... <laughs> It's, like, so crazy to believe it's real and not some meta thing. Okay, he goes <laughs> he goes on to say... I've got some friends in the CIA. I'll ask them if it's real. Yeah. He's, he goes on to say, God's caliber went through my scrotum, mattress, box spring, and floor. <laughs> oh, my God. Turns out it wasn't a graze. That round went right the fuck through me. What I thought were two graze wounds turned out to be an entrance and exit wound. My God. Uh, and now apparently they made him a moderator of the page and he's a king. <laughs> oh my God. That is so fucking crazy and so dumb. Well, a uh, of idiots and they're king. Congratulations. Yeah. King. King ball sack. 
That's what I'm going to call him. <laughs> King Ballsack. King No Ballsack. Um, he fucking deflated mm. that shit. It's gone. What a weird, weird, weird Hole in good throat. news story. <laughs> yeah, that I love so sounds much. Like a, sounds like a country song, right? Like, they're... The heater in my truck is broken and I don't give a fuck and there's a hole in my scrotum and I'm off to the radio <laughs> or whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah, they really do get away with slipping in some pretty crazy shit into those songs. Everybody just goes along with it, but they, this would totally <laughs> just be slipped into some stagecoach anthem. <laughs> oh, God. I lost my balls today. That's my Johnny Cash with no ball song. Um, yeah, all right. Like, whoa. I, <laughs> I uh, have a I new... I hurt my <laughs> balls today. Yeah. Rest in peace. You were one of the only good ones, Johnny Cash. My God. All right. Uh, oh, Trent Reznor. Yeah. Next from Tony. I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. no, no, no worries. I'm sorry. Uh, next up from Tony, pronouns he, she, either, or. I'm a single mom of 18-year-old twins. My good news is that my son just moved off my couch and into a transitional living, spl- li- living place. And it only took a year and a half. Sarcasm there. Uh, also, both my adult kids are working two jobs each and one just graduated high school. And some very good friends of mine just gave us a desperately needed car. It's been a hell of a great week. I love your show and I never miss an episode. Thank you. Aw, and then there's some mm, lovely pictures. All oh, these are oh, yay, family too. pictures. We don't get a lot of family pictures. Thank you for sharing. Real humans, not just pod pets, actual humans. Only two legs. Uh. Oh, they're so wonderful. Absolutely beautiful. Yes. Congratulations. And she's got her ropes and her hood. Yeah. This is so fantastic. So wonderful. Cool. Congratulations. Yeah, to all of you. Hell yes. Love it. Yes. And uh next up from Michelle, pronouns she her. Y'all have waxed poetic about the antics of the one and only Louis Goddamn Gomert. <clears throat> I want to let you know about the Democratic challenger for Gomer's seat, Hank Gilbert. Along with being an alum for my parents and sisters alma mater. Uh, Gigam Aggies, uh, apparently that's a thing. I don't. Gigam Aggies. Uh, Hank and his late wife founded a charity called Carla's Joy. The charity helps to raise funds to outfit homes for women who are being assisted by the East Texas Crisis Center, an agency assisting battered and abused women. He's got a shot at getting Gomer out of Congress. And if y'all want to send him coins, volunteer time, or both, go to hankfortexas.com. We should get him on the Flip It Blue segment. Yes, totally. We have a Mia Mason interview coming up in a little bit. We're going to pick it back up when we get back from our trip, as we will with our patron only at Mary Trump Book Club. But totally, I would love to look in to getting them on here. There's going to be so many good people coming on our Flip It Blue segment. And I feel like I was thinking about this the other day. Our voters are already probably going to be voting blue, I would imagine. Sorry, listeners who are, are voting. Uh, they're, they're already, you know, going for the Democrat. So I really feel like a big part of that segment and why I appreciate this piece of good news is the purpose, you know, of giving them money. That's a huge thing that they need that unfortunately translates to power in politics and i i love that you just you know straight up ask people to throw them some coins because that's what they need mm-hmm. 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 next up from data diva pronoun she her here's an easy way to find out how to volunteer near you many campaigns though not all use the website www.mobilize.us to publish events just go to mobilize.us and put in your zip code and it will tell you events near you there may be a state rep or county commissioner's race you haven't even thought of that really really needs volunteers you can also put in a different zip to sign up to volunteer virtually for a different candidate texting is especially easy i can usually do about 100 texts in 15 minutes you don't even have to type manually very cool Mm -hmm. 
Very, very cool. That is so incredible because this text message that I got is from uh, somebody at mobilize.us slash 2020 victory. And they actually texted me a few days ago and said, hi, I'm Oscar. I'm a volunteer with the DNC. Great news. Biden has chosen Kamala Harris. Have you heard? (laughs) To show that we have got her back. We're asking supporters to make calls. It's easy to do from home. We'll send you all the info you need. Can Joe Biden and Kamala Harris count on your help today? And I was like, hey, Oscar, I can't today. Recording a show, but I host a podcast and I can announce your info to the audience. How can people sign up? He's like, oh, my gosh, no worries. That's so great. When you're ready. Go to mobilize.us slash 2020victory, and you can share that link. So thank you, Data Diva, and thank you, Oscar, and thank you, everyone who's out there texting and phone banking. Um, we love you. And next up, 141Texas, pronouns they, them, or we, us. Um, starts off as a bummer, but it gets better, I promise. I, like most of us, have been struggling to cope during this strange and scary time in our history. I was spiraling and in a bad place, generally fearful and angry all the time. Then I got covid But I was very fortunate to have mild uh, to moderate but not severe symptoms. Additionally, I'm a workaholic, and I tried to continue working, telecommuting, while recovering, which didn't help the toxic mental situation. This soon proved to be unsustainable, and I was forced to disengage. I know what that's like. Um, So to occupy myself while laid up, I've been working on an idea I had for a sort of value proposition called Action Campaign to raise funds for voter activation in South Texas. I like how in your time off, you're just organizing campaigns. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Uh, This is a solidly democratic region of the state with woefully low historic turnout. That's sad. Uh, I ended up partnering with a a field called uh, Cambio, Texas, and last week launched 141Texas, I'm assuming Texas.com. So that's the number one, F-O-R, number one, Texas.com, 141Texas.com. It's an adopt-a-voter program connected directly to the field uh, teams for Act Blue challenging all Texans and allies to sponsor the voter acquisition costs of one voter each, one for one. That's why it's one for one Texas. Uh, okay, peep this shit. This is the best part. <laughs> Getting sick of putting things in perspective and pouring my heart into something I felt passionately for rather than being focused on my dull job all the time woke something up inside of me. Renewed uh, joie de vivre. I still struggle with anxiety, but I'm no longer fearful and angry all the time. I stopped having toxic interactions. And I've recovered from COVID. I'm back to work with a much healthier, healthier work-life balance. I'm sleeping better and uh, than I have in a very long time. And I feel like I'm able to be more present uh, with my spouse and a friend. Love the show. Keep up the good trouble. One <sighs> for one in Texas. That's awesome. And I know exactly how you feel. Yes. I was grinding the government, government job for 50 hours a week and the podcast for 60 hours a week. And it, uh, you know, I, I've, I ended up losing that government job, but good riddance. Mm-hmm. Seriously. <laughs> so, but yeah, being able to do this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and be involved in the election and be involved in politics is is healing. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. You know? Yeah, and I also think looking back on everything, you know, in years to come, it's going to be um, a gift we give to our future selves to know that we invested what we could in this fight right now. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be on my deathbed saying I did I did everything I could. Yeah. And, you know, I started uh, when I went to work for the VA in 2008, Obama was uh, put a call to action out to the country for for people to be of service to their country. And I had already been in the military. I had joined the Navy. I was a disabled veteran, so I couldn't go back into the military service. So I decided to go to work for the federal government. And I got to take the executive oath of office on January 20th, my birthday, the same day Obama took his oath of office. 
and it, it's, it meant the world to me. And I worked there for over 11 years. And <clears throat> um, now Obama has called on us again to, if we can, volunteer uh, to be precinct inspectors and poll workers. And I have submitted my application. Uh, every time, I swear to God, Ob if you need me to do something, you just have Obama ask me to. And I, apparently that's, I'll just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. <laughs> I also, really quick, before we sign off, I just got word. Uh, we, we had talked earlier in the show about cult podcast having that Mississippi flag designed. It turns out that actually one of their hosts, uh, Andrea, is the one who designed it, actually. It was commissioned. She's an amazing artist, and she does like so much incredible work. I'm friends with her on Facebook, and the stuff that she produces is like so beautiful and colorful and lively. So yeah, I just wanted to do a quick correction. It was Andrea that designed that. So Oh, I must have misunderstood. Yeah. He, uh, one of their patrons used his shout-out to shout the flag out and to and request that they design it and yes and andrea did it andrea did it yes awesome yes so cool so so cool awesome okay thank you for that correction yeah of course and then also maybe uh next episode tomorrow i can get her website or something because seriously her art is like very beautiful and i'd love to give her even more of a shout out it's rad yeah we can we can definitely drop that in the newsletter or whatever sweet no problem cool thank you for letting me do that quick correction yeah, no problem. And everybody, we will see you tomorrow. Until then, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn, and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>